You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach and consultant working with leaders in schools to improve well-being. On today's episode, I asked Liz Robson-Kelly to come and join us. Liz has an MSc in positive psychology and coaching psychology, and she's a teaching fellow at Loughborough University, where she is the module leader on the MSc work psychology in well-being at work. She also leads the Worth It organisation, supporting schools and organisations to develop well-being. I wanted Liz to come on the show because we've talked a lot about the practice of well-being and I hoped that Liz would help us to put some of the theory into our practice of well-being. And she, she does that and she does it really well. We learn about uh, JDR and we learn about different types of resilience And Liz takes us through a number of strategies that you can use and implement in your school to improve the culture of well-being. Enjoy the interview. Liz Robson-Kelly, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited. Excellent. (laughs) I I always say to people, how are you doing really? Because it's dead easy just to go, oh yeah, I'm doing great when we're just so busy and life Mm -hmm. is such a rush um but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and your focus on well-being for the listeners yep um so i am managing director of worth it positive education which is a social enterprise um that specializes in working with schools to develop a whole school approach to positive mental health and well-being using positive psychology and coaching psychology really as an early intervention to help prevent mental health problems in children and young people but a massive component of that is staff well-being and uh, and leading well-being and a (laughs) sorry the dog uh, (laughs) and a culture of um, embedded whole school well-being is absolutely um, integral to our whole school system approach but I also am a university teacher at Loughborough University and I teach on um, the well-being at, um, no, a module leader on well-being and, and, well-being and work masters, okay. uh, which is part of the work psychology masters. So if someone was wanting to be an occupational psychologist, then they would do the masters that I teach on. So yeah, I lead on a, a module just about well-being in the workplace. And a lot of the case studies and examples I use are teaching and uh, school-based because that's a lot of my all my practices either school-based or people that support children and young people's mental health like school nurses or youth workers or third sector organizations brilliant so i've been waffling on for nine episodes now about well-being um and i suppose i've been talking about the practical elements of it in a school so what you're going to bring to the show today is that theoretical element you can bring the the research and and yeah. all that sort of stuff i can well i can try um, yeah. i know a lot <laughs> Brilliant. um and all of our work is based on 
the science of well-being if you like which is positive psychology and a, a lot of the teaching i teach at university is positive and organizational psychology for specifically for well-being and stress management and Great. prevention like okay um, and don't worry about the dog because ruby my dog makes appearances on on most of the show <laughs> so i think people are used to her barking in the background we had a cockerel on one show once so we we're used to uh, we used to animal interruptions i'm really interested in the positive psychology aspect of it can you tell me a bit more about that yeah so positive psychology is like the science of well-being if you like um scientific study of well-being but it's also um success meaning you know what's best about human beings and i know you're coach and qualified coach and sort of depending on the style of coaching that you're using coaching is an applied positive psychology yeah. if the coaching that you're doing is about improving well-being and about improving you know people's uh, achievement of goals and success so um there is a whole sort of i'm a qualified positive psychology coach and practitioner um but i specialize in applying positive psychology at a whole school level right um so yeah um it's the science of well-being if you like and it, it's been around since 1998 officially when martin seligman kind of announced at this american psychology association that there is a new science it's called positive psychology and the reason it came about is because there was a focus on deficit and disease not yeah. the strategies for flourishing and positive psychology is the science of thriving flourishing well-being so it's about looking at, at things that you can do positively to yeah. would, would you say it's about changing the way you think as well and mindset and things like that too absolutely so positive psychology is a umbrella term for the empirical study of strategies for well-being so these can include cognitive strategies mindfulness if it's mindfulness for well-being not mindfulness for uh clinical reasons let's right. say yeah um if uh so it's strengths work and helping people work on their their, their character strengths and you know become better um some more self-aware more uh, able to utilize their strengths and work and live uh, when they're using those strengths um, better it's a lot of the work we do is around mindset and you know growth mindset would fit within the strand of positive psychology grit resilience um just kind of all sorts of cognitive behavioral coaching approaches would fit within positive psychology literature and research so it's it's an, it's definitely an umbrella term that encompasses it encompasses the evidence-based approaches that develop well-being yeah okay so can you tell us about your interest in well-being and where it developed from so my background's really in social disadvantage and um training learning and development for like 15 years uh so i used to work in welfare to work and I was doing a coaching qualification myself at the same time and I was um, thinking about uh, all these people that were workless, quite a lot of them were young and a real lack of self-belief and self-worth and you know I was a careers advisor and we would do CVs but it wouldn't be a matter of doing a CV, it would be a matter of helping them develop their self-belief and, and those think, thoughts about themselves and their self-awareness and um, 
I wanted to set up a social enterprise that would help increase people's self-worth, prevent mental health problems developing using coaching. And then I came across positive psychology on like I was a qualified coach and then I was doing some CPD and it just like, I was like, I'm just going to start using this coach, this positive psychology in my coaching program. Cause it seemed like obvious thing to do. I didn't realize it was a massive revolutionary idea, <laughs> like a big thing. So this is like um, 2010 that I started doing it. Uh, and it's only, you know, been in the last five years that you can even do a master's degree in this topic so right. I was kind of ahead of the curve yeah. and um we wanted I was oh this is a long story I'm rambling there was like um a bunch of young people on this program I was doing for adult carers so there were carers of adults with mental illness severe mental illness and they were adult carers and um one of them had been bullied when he was a teenager at school and that he was like schizophrenic was very very mentally ill and his mother had mental illness as well so she was his carer she said oh it all started when he was bullied at school and then there was um these other young girls who were like 21 and they'd had a lot of mental health problems themselves and i was thinking if we could only work with the young people and we can equip them with strategies for positive mental health and well-being then we would prevent a lot of these problems happening in the first place so then started to do that got some children sounds so easy wasn't that easy <laughs> uh got some um started to work in the community with local schools in leicestershire and we would put on uh group work in the evening and schools would refer in to us um young people and we were funded by children in need and eventually the local nhs um and we as part of the camps provision pre-camps so it would be the kids that would not get access to camps because they weren't bad enough and um, we would do a group work program. And then I did my master's. And then I was like, I, I researched, uh, did a grounded theory study in what does coaching have to offer young people at risk of developing mental health problems? And it turned out it was a, a sort of interrelated matrix of strategies that young people need, which are around thinking skills, emotional and self-awareness and communication and interpersonal skills which I really think are massively communication and interpersonal skills for young people's mental well-being is massively like um, underutilized and yeah. underrepresented area. And I really think coaching is the sort of pedagogy for that yeah. strategy for well-being with young people. Because they don't so, know how to express themselves. Do no. they? A lot of young people find it difficult communicating with. Well, you see it in the class, they don't put their hand up. Even yeah. as a student at the university, you know, my students in the university are too frightened to put their hand up when they're 20, third year students. They're too frightened to answer yeah. a question. Like, what the hell has happened to them that's took away their autonomy? And they're, they're, they're so frightened of failure that they don't say anything when they're 21. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I don't, it's probably not even being 21, is it? I've been in, when I've been leading CPD sessions with staff. Yes, staff exactly. Team who don't want to to say something. yeah and like that lack of psychological safety to take a yeah. safe risk and just put your ideas out there it's like it worries me massively um so i've, I've digressed um so Sorry, then we started me. to work with teachers and school nurses and people in tier one at the time and we were teaching them the strategies for coaching and positive psychology so they could embed it in their practice in either pastoral roles or school nursing or teaching roles in the classroom and then um, 
we started to think well but what we were noticing is that the young people would we, they would change and they would utilize these strategies but then it would they'd go back into the school environment and people hadn't this there was a ceiling they could only change so much because the system that they were in yeah wasn't supporting their change if you like and um, we start I had a dream in 2014 to start working on a whole school approach and I've been sort of chipping away pushing it for six years basically um through many ups and downs and um and then in a 26 end of 2016 beginning of 2017 we got a pilot where we worked with 20 schools in Leicester City and Leicestershire to develop a whole school system approach which has led to some of the work I'm doing now the, the latest kind of programs I'm doing now and um I, I spoke to one of the school leaders last week it was phenomenal so she's been doing it for three years and it's a completely embedded whole school culture of well-being that's now self-sustaining and self-perpetuating and a massive element an integral part of any whole school approach to well-being is staff well-being yeah. and a culture that supports um, a whole school whole school well-being um because but we're coming from a place of supporting young people and children yeah um as an intervention if you like but the school environment is the intervention so it's it's my dream and my passion that any child or young person will go to a school and their well-being will be improved by the atmosphere of that school and it is possible because i know schools that we work with have done it it's not quick it's taken them several years of constantly chipping away at it but it's it's possible you know and you see examples of schools you know like fake fleet primary you know the one on britain's got talent yes um like that is a school uh, you can tell from just like the way they act the way they are I follow them on social media that um the children that go to that school's well-being is improved just by going to that school you know so it doesn't once once you put the interventions in place once you put the strategies in place it's self-sustained yeah. but it's that work that needs to be done i think it's understanding from school leaders that if if you are going to improve the culture of well-being in your school it has to be a whole school thing and there has to be a commitment to it yeah. and it's it will require changing a number of practices or strategies or things that you currently use and that it's long term it's a commitment to doing something for the long term there is no quick fix no and it's not one silver bullet either you know it's no. not just mindfulness it's not just cakes on a friday it just drives me mad or yoga on a tuesday or anything tokenistic or piecemeal it's just a yeah. waste of time and money just don't bother if you're going to do it do it prop i get really mad we, we get approached all the time about doing like you know can you just do an inset day for 45 minutes for everyone on children and staff's mental health and well-being well no no i can't I really think, it's not going to change anything it's it's something that i think in in teaching is it's become a bit of a people think you can just do a one day training day and everybody's problems will be solved. And from that one day, things mm. will be improved. Even in terms of CPD, that is not the case. A one day training course is not going to have the impact that you want it to have unless it's something that's sustained, something that people come back to, something that you actually focus on and you 
evaluate it and you think right what's working what's not how can we change it what do we need to do and unless yeah. you commit to it in that way you aren't going to make the change it's a it's a much much bigger thing than come in and do some training with us on mindfulness or let's yeah. have a, let's have a couple of, and I, i'm not I, I deliver first aid for mental health training and I think it's really important but that's not something you can just say let's have a couple of people in school who are trained mental health first aiders and then we've ticked a box and we're doing totally. that that has to sit in, in, in a lot of other strategies and measures that you're putting in place doesn't it yeah and you know on mental health first aid they say you know get people to talk about it and ask for help and then if there's no help for them to refer on to there's no strategies in place you might as well it's actually worse than not doing anything at all or if you don't have a culture of openness and honesty yeah. and communication people still won't feel confident enough to share or to say something will they yeah exactly you know and i i will say you know i've suffered with stress and burnout for seven you know eight years of chronic stress and i did burn out and had to have a month off earlier yeah. this year and i'm an expert in these things i know all the strategies <laughs> and i can't i couldn't cope anymore you know so those people that don't know this stuff and live and breathe it on a daily basis how they're how they're managing in a you know teaching is a stressful profession before you even you know just the nature the design of the work the design of the the, the way school environments are designed and the way the profession is is stressful you can't get away from it so so you have to enable practitioners to learn strategies for for well-being and find their own unique combination so you can't mandate well-being initiatives i mean i've heard nightmare like a terrible example like people mean well they just get the wrong end of the stick and there'll be like mandatory bake-offs like <laughs> if someone said to me we're doing bake-off for well-being i'd be like what like i cried making my son's birthday cake i can't cut bake i was betty crocker and then i cried icing the cake my husband had to take over it was just i was just such a stress i was like if someone made me do a bake-off for well-being i'd just like be you know yeah it, you have to find your own you you have to enable staff to find their own unique combination yeah well but, i heard i heard of a school where they'd, they'd done a, an early finish friday so it was somebody who mentioned it in a previous interview um we, we'll all be off the premises by three thirty. and for some members of staff that was stressful because they liked yes. to stay on a friday get things done and then they didn't take things home for the weekend so you you're right it's about it's about personalizing it isn't it but how can that be done without i don't even know if there's an answer to this question but schools are very different working environments from a lot of workplaces aren't they mm, yeah the nature of, of school is that it's a very very busy day with not very much space to do things during that day so if you're thinking about personalizing a well-being I don't want to call it a curriculum, but what the well-being strategies and building that culture. How can you do that in a school? I think the, one of the most helpful sort of theories is the JDR model. Are you familiar with the JDR? I'm Job, not. No, no. No. Job demands and resources model. So it's um, I've forgotten the name of the researcher, but it's very famous in uh, occupational psychology. Um, so you've got your job demands and your job resources. And what you need to, what each person needs to identify is their own set of demands. So the demands are non, are work, non-work, and um, 
I've forgotten. Personal. <laughs> it's only the theory that I teach the most. Yeah. <laughs> work, non-work and personal. That's it. Demands and resources. Now, so you identify what your demands are, work, non-work, personal. So, you know, you might have uh, work demands that you, and within those work demands, they can be quantitative things. So there's a lot of tasks that you need to do, but they can also be qualitative. So are they cognitively demanding? Is it a massive new curriculum that you're trying to develop? Is it um, a, a huge leadership strategy that takes a lot of brain space? So it might not be that you've got loads of tasks, like a, a classroom teacher might have loads of loads of tasks. A leader might have one huge task, but it, it's just as stressful because it's quantitative and qualitative nature. But if you have both, quantitative and qualitative sort of demands, and then you go home. And you've got stuff going on at home, you know, you've got elderly parents that you're worried about with COVID or you've got kids, young kids or just, just, you know, just stuff, at home, you know, yeah. non-work demands. Um, and then you've got your resources. So on the opposite. So it's, imagine it's scales. The metaphor we always use is scales and you've got to kind of get your scales into balance with your demands and your resources. So your resources always kind of need to outweigh the demands and there needs to be almost more resources than there are demands. And, you know, so again, on the resources side, we've got um, work, non-work and personal. And the worker like coaches could help with the, well, help with all of them because you help develop the personal resources, the cognitive strategies yeah. um, for them to manage the work and non-work demands. But what's interesting about the JDR is it's nuanced and a demand can be can be a resource and a resource can be a demand for example if you want to do yoga and you want to do yoga every tuesday six or whatever and that's a resource but then you're getting yourself in a stress because you can't do it or you're not doing it then it can become a demand yeah you feel like you have to go every week yeah something that you've committed to yeah this is really interesting because i think the term work-life balance is bandied around all over the mm -hmm. place isn't it and actually, does anybody really understand what that means? There's, no. there's not necessarily, there's not, it's not a one size fits all in terms of work-life balance, is it? But, no. but th this seems to take work-life balance and sort of give it some shape and, and create that idea of this is what work-life balance is and it can be different for different people. It sounds like it's a way of like thinking, mm -hmm. like this Mapping is what... It out. Yeah yeah and in the literature it's called work-life interface it's not even called right. work-life balance because it's an interface between your work and your life and it's never it's constant work I think it's a misconception you have work-life balance ding tick it's like <laughs> yeah everything everything's going to be wonderful now <laughs> yeah it's constant work to keep it in balance and constant checking and sometimes letting it go out of balance temporarily you know during exam season or certain times of the year where you know it's going to tip but it's into you know maybe works higher the, the postman's just come <laughs> the higher price the dog's gonna go the higher <laughs> i'll just wait for this dogs love postman <laughs> <laughs> yeah um protecting the house yeah um even what though sort, what sort of dog is it a standard schnauzer oh <laughs> you know with a beard like yeah yeah <laughs> um yes um so 
what I was saying is, um, yeah, it takes constant work to, to have that balance of demands and resources, but everyone focuses on reducing the demands, but they don't focus on boosting up the resources. Yeah. And that's where positive psychology can come in and coaching because like yeah. coaching massively helps you identify your resources, helps you access your resources, helps you, you know, keep yourself in check, hold you, hold you to account to utilize those resources that you have. But I think it's, it's never a fin. It's the Holy grail work life balance and it's, you never reach it. It's, no. it's like, how do you get it to a point that you, you can maintain it? That's in my, personal experience and understanding the theory of this i think that's the reality is you you have to find about a a interface between work and life that is maintainable and then understand it that sometimes it will tip one way or the other there'll be other times when your your uh resources are much higher like your life your um you know your you're in the school holiday so you'd hope that it's the other way, you know, yeah. that gives you a chance to recharge your batteries and recuperate and rest. And that is really important as well. It's interesting because I think coaching actually it gives you, it teaches your strategies and coaching is not teaching. Don't get me wrong. It, but, but what it does because of the processes that you go through when you coach someone, mm. they learn how to deal with things as they come up. So yeah when you're not coaching them anymore sometimes people say oh i heard you say what what can you control and what can't you control in that or they'll say i thought about okay what do I, what options have i got to deal with this or you know so that people have those strategies that they can use so you sort of teach them those strategies like you're saying how can you now draw on the resources that you need to help you to cope with this situation would you yeah. say that that sort of encompasses what well-being actually is that creating yeah. that interface between all the different elements of what's going on in your life and and having those resources and strategies to help you cope absolutely and it's not a big thing it's not like I do well-being and I have I do my mindfulness I don't do mindfulness personally like for example someone might do mindfulness and they might do uh exercise and they might read a self-help book um but they're like or I say they're like almost like big things whereas well-being is micro moments it's like every moment is a moment when you can be boosting and topping up your well-being so it's like a well and you're kind of always feeding it with micro moments of positive emotion or positive effect when you're feeling joy when you're feeling pride when you're acknowledging that you've achieved something and you're really proud of yourself you know all those things like build your well of well-being so that when you have to dip into it during a challenging or stressful time you've got something in there otherwise it's depleted or it's like a bank account you're making a withdrawal there's nothing in your bank you're going overdrawn that's another way way i explain it I think for, for me, and you've talked about burnout as well, I found that, that I'm finding this quite interesting, the idea of demands and resources and work life and home life, because when 
I was married and my husband took on a lot of the, the roles and responsibilities in the house, helping, you know, looking after the children, taking to work, giving them their breakfast, doing all that, let me go to work early, I could stay and work late. I was, you know, rolling along nicely then. When we separated and that element was taken away, it was mm. like the jigsaw was missing a, a piece and it, it just, everything just started to build up on me and then I found it really difficult to manage what I'd so felt so comfortable managing before and I think mm. that's that sense isn't it of not everything I suppose I sort of see it like you know when you see someone producing records and there's all those different dials and you yes get, they're looking for some sort of perfect harmony of all those different dials and if one's like way high and one's too low it's not it's not going to create sort of the piece of music they want is it and I, I sort of see it being a bit like that yeah that's a good way of describing it and like for me work is a resource like although my work is cognitively demanding and stressful you know I'm a teacher in a university I'm also a, so, a business owner an entrepreneur a person that helps other people manage stress it's like yeah. I have to work on my well-being to be in of service of to others but um my work is is a resource i burnt out because my work got took away from me with covid and i had to be at, stuck at home with my two young kids who are you know one of them's on the autistic spectrum and the other one's two well yeah. it was 18 months at the time just very demanding age you know tod toddler tantruming yeah, yeah. um and the things that all the things that i had that helped my me maintain my well-being my work my gym my my parents helping with childcare, nursery and school overnight took away from me and distressed my business like my business was in a very uncertain position i just i just couldn't cope i, woke, I couldn't stop crying for days and days and then as i was already stressed i was already stressed and it just tipped me over the edge and my husband then luckily got a job but he was in like a because he was self-employed before so he got a really good job and he was in his office upstairs for eight hours a day and I'm trying to like stop the dog barking keep the kids quiet you know and I just I just burnt out because had to my colleague said you've got to stop you have got to stop and she actually made me stop because I couldn't stop myself I couldn't stop working I went into like over overdrive I was trying yeah. to like fix everything and I was totally unproductive I think that's the that's the situation that a lot of senior leaders in schools are finding themselves in at the moment as well. And I think one of the things I was going to talk to you uh, potentially about was that idea of senior leaders who put a lot of pressure on themselves to work long hours. Mm. Um, and and at the minute, I think there's so much work to be done that it feels like it's never ending. Is there a way of of coping with that? Before we find out more about potential coping strategies, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics, from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. 
If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat, it's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview and find out how, as a leader, you can cope under enormous pressure. The JDR is again a helpful model, but I think also resilient people reach out and ask for help, and that is the one of the hardest things I've had to do as a leader, yeah. you know, as a resilient person, is say I can't cope, and I yeah. feel a bit emotional saying it out loud now. It's, it was really hard, even phoning the doctor because I had stress, I had chronic stress. I wasn't mentally ill, I wasn't depressed, I didn't have anxiety. I had stress. Yeah. Stress isn't an illness; it is a reaction to too much pressure. That's a, but there's no other mechanism for support other than medical help if you like having to phone the gp and say i can't cope anymore crying i can't stop crying crying down the phone to the gp and i was like i'm a flipping psychologist i i know that i teach this (laughs) stuff i did the burnout inventory and i filled it in and it said you're severely burnt out you need (laughs) help (laughs) and um yeah even then i was like it took me a couple of days to actually phone up and, and ask for that help and then even after being signed off for two weeks there were you have to phone up and then say how are you doing and I was like I need two more weeks off but even then you were thinking I was thinking well maybe should, I should go back you know um and I think it's realizing you, you have to let other people you either have to just let it go let it go for a little bit or let other people step up and help you yeah and that's hard if you if you if you're if you're a leader and everybody looks to you it Mm. it, sometimes it can feel like a failing Mm. can't it if you have to say i I need help i'm struggling myself it's interesting that you should say that resilience is about being able to one of the aspects of it is about being able to reach out and ask for help because resilience is it i think it's a real buzzword at the minute um and i think some the perception of it from some is that you can just put up with all sorts of stuff being thrown in your direction constantly and that that's that's a I for me I think is a misconception about resilience but what's what's your take on it well that's one type of resilience so that's, that would be known as um resistance resilience there's three main con- construct well it's, it's a complex construct resilience so um there's resistance resilience which is like imagine where you stand strong like an oak tree in the face of a storm and that's the kind of resilience you're describing and there are certain times where you may just have to um stand strong and weather the storm if you like um maybe in a bereavement or you know certain situations that require that type of resilience then there's um recovery resilience which is your typical bounce back you know what they teach the kids at school resilience is back you know but imagine an elastic band and you keep stretching it out stretching it out and it bounces back and then eventually it starts to get thinner and thinner and frayed doesn't it because you can't keep bouncing back and without kind of adapting and so that would be um recovery resilience is when you just keep bouncing back and then there's reconfiguration resilience which is the resilience that I hope comes out of this adversity. So there is no resilience without adversity or challenge and that's subjective and it can be depending on everyone's personal, you know, experiences and one person's 
daily hassle is another person's adversity so we can't say they're not resilient or they are resilient because it's their own subjective experience you know what i mean yeah um but um then we have reconfiguration resilience which can you can reconfigure to become better stronger wiser than you were before yeah or you can reconfigure to become maladapted for example i'm never going to let them you know i'm going to toughen up i'm never going to let them do that to me again and that's kind of it is reconfiguration but it's not in a positive way and as positive psychologists we're interested in reconfiguring positively and growing and adapting and changing for the better because of the adversity that we've experienced i think an example of that might be in schools there were a number of aspects of school life that were seen to be the way that we do things we can never change that it's not possible whereas Mm. the covid crisis has made schools approach things in a different way like the timetable like split lunches like staggered starting and finishing times and things like that where they've had to put more flexibility into what was seen as a this is the way the school day is it's set in stone and we can't change it it's made school leaders go we'll have to change it because if we don't the consequences are probably unthinkable so Mm -hmm. they've had to then come out of the other side of that and i'm hoping that one of the things that changes in schools as a result of this is that they go actually we can try doing things differently and we can do things that we thought previously were not possible they actually did work and i'm hoping that it changes the mindset of leaders in the future especially in schools to think right let's think outside the box a bit more things that we thought weren't possible are so what things can we do would you say that's an example of that reconfiguration? absolutely yeah because you've reconfigured and you're much more flexible and adaptable creative innovative you know less fearful of taking risks more you know you know that would be a positive reconfiguration of a kind of resilient school if you like but it's the the individuals that make up that school you know an organization is just a collection of individual of people you know it just happens that schools have got children and adults in them which makes them really fascinating to work with and and interesting but um uh, how the individuals have adapted their mentality to be more open and flexible like it doesn't have to be like this we can innovate you know we can try things out we can make mistakes or it it, all those kind of positive changes as long as you keep them and don't like revert back yeah to status quo yeah it's very easy to do that isn't it so you talk about um like system transformation is something that you're really passionate about and mm-hmm. um and the fact that if you are going to change the well-being culture in in a school for example it's going to be a long process you know probably two or three years to really start embedding things how would you start working to put that transformation in place and then how do you see it how would it sort of pan out over that time scale so we've created a system model which is a step-by-step model um that that we work with schools through this sort of step-by-step process but it's a framework so we don't say start here and then do this part next do this part it's like um it's a circle and you can start anywhere on it and schools already have started and then they move through their steps because what doesn't work with schools is one size fits all approach especially in this area you have to create a 
well it's called a chaotic system because it's chaos and order right. so um you create a kind of framework that and that we've created one uh, you don't have to use ours there's others out there but you use ours it's really good <laughs> you kind of um and it put the put the framework in in place if you like and then allow it to self perpetuate which sounds so wishy-washy but we see this in nature all the time it's called complex adaptive systems where you know like murmurations and you yeah. see the birds uh, and they form these amazing patterns in the sky or shoals of fish that's a similar the same complex adaptive system is where you put the core conditions in place and it will self-sustain itself so in a school environment you've got your kind of agents have changed your kind of nodes in the system if you like they are the teachers and the children and if you teach them some simple rules for well-being then eventually it kind of within this simple framework it will self-sustain and take on a life of its own but we always say start with relationships because relationships and interactions facilitate well-being they amplify any any tool any resource any worksheet any lesson anything you get off twinkle you know people will say to me i just want a resource why why do you want a resource what's going on with your culture what's going on with your relationships between your staff and your children and your children and your children are they swearing at each other in the car in the playground is there bullying going on are they happy are they smiling are they laughing you know you can walk into a school and it feels happy then you can be doing gratitude star charts and you know all these lovely they're not rubbish they're lovely they're evidence-based they really work but without having that context of relationships as a foundation you might as well not bother you know buying in a scheme of work or or something like that because it will work but only to a certain degree and the and it won't be as, as effective if you haven't got the culture. Um, I think I'm being quite radical saying what I'm saying right now, but yeah. like if you haven't got the culture that will sustain and, and help um, facilitate any staff wellbeing initiative, any children's wellbeing program, curriculum intervention is not going to sort of be as effective. It will work, but not as well as it could without having those positive interactions and communications between staff and each other, staff and the children, and the children with the children. It's really interesting that you say that because I, I think relationships are so important. As a teacher, if you, don't have, if you don't have positive relationships with the children, you'll never get the best results out of them that you can. And one of the things that, that has really come through in the interviews that I've done for the show is that bottom-up leadership is much more effective than top-down leadership mm. but there is a sense that in this if you're going to develop that culture of well-being in in your school or in your workplace it it has to come from the top doesn't it it has to come from the person who is leading it embodying all of the things that they want their staff to engage in or to do i think it's top down and bottom up yeah. You have to have a leadership and management team that totally believe in well-being and make time for it and put it on the agenda every meeting 
there's it's on there as an agenda item and they allow a bit of budget or a bit of at least time you know if you can't yeah. afford budget give them some time um but it's you know even the literature around job crafting so when you know people talk about oh i have my pp at home the theory of that is job crafting uh, or um, participatory approaches which is what we specialize in it's getting uh, schools to set up their own team of well-being champions which are staff and um letting them giving them time to come up with their own well-being initiatives and a listening ear and a receptive management team that's going to listen to them and implement what they say they're going to do and i've heard such innovation in this area one school we work with the staff said we need lights in the car park we're frightened when we get go home from work can we have lights and they were like uh yeah <laughs> they had to spend some budget on it but that wouldn't be a typical well-being intervention would it no it's putting lights in the car park or you know um decorating the staff room to make it much more like a comfortable living room yeah. rather than a, a work. but that was the place that said they matter that was a place that that help their well-being through feeling more comfortable yeah and that they, they do things like work on marking policy and feedback policy and all those massively demand workload demanding things but because those uh, people are given the autonomy to innovate and find their own solutions and empowered then that's facilitating well-being and i suppose if you use the the model that you talked about the jdr model when you are thinking about yeah. implementing new i don't know whatever it might be you might be a new marking policy or assessment and feedback policy or whatever using that group of staff that you've got to use that model mm. to say right okay what what impact is this going to have what resources do we have to, to cope with that does it need tweaking that might be a good model to use as part of your change management systems in a school absolutely yeah because you're what you're doing is the staff are saying these are the demands we identify and these are the resources that we and if there's no resources put put some in place yeah. the staff room's a resource the children are a resource the children are a wonderful resource that help staff reduce stress but we often especially at team you know a secondary we see the the children or the young people are perceived as a stressor and don't get me wrong they are <laughs> they can, they can, be, be. Yeah, they can yeah. also be a wonderful resource you know when you see that they're learning and achieving and changing and growing up and that's boost you know that gives you the meaning and purpose to carry on in this very demanding job yeah how but do if you if your well-being that? isn't good that yeah i think it's like if your well-being isn't good you can't appreciate those things can you have a tendency then to focus on the negative aspects and that's the, the mm. maybe the one or two children in the class who are not doing what you want them to do and that then creates a sense that this lesson's going terribly wrong and and then it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that isn't it so it's about yeah. switching things around and focusing on what's going on positively in in your classroom and if the teacher's well-being is in the right place they can do that much better than they're able to if their well-being is poor aren't they yeah and like that appreciative lens and your what you focus on grows so the more you focus on the resources the more they'll grow whereas you focus on the demands they will they will grow you know so it's about where do you where do you put your where how do you see your 
the environment what lens are you viewing it through and where, where do you put your energy if you like but it is a mixture of reducing the demands and improving the resources um, and what it would be known as in the literature is a primary stress response which right. is primary stress management intervention which would be things like job crafting participatory approaches they're all like brilliant um primary stress management interventions where you are re removing stress at source by changing workload or changing marking policies changing email policy you know or you know all those things but you're not saying we can't send emails after six o'clock because some people need to do their emails in the evening because they want to put their kids to bed or whatever you're saying we don't expect a reply if you're going to email me at eight o'clock or management's going to email you at eight o'clock they're not expecting you to be replying or replying to parents at midnight or all this crazy stuff that i've heard you know yeah. why are you why are you letting your staff have personal emails on their no work emails on their personal phones like that sh no they sh if you want to have if they want if you want to have them like if they're safeguarding lead or something and you want to be con having them contactable really you should be giving them a phone that they can switch off that's a separate phone not that their own personal phone has their work email on. yeah i don't have I my email on my phone at all my work my, my business email i don't have it on my phone right i think it's a difficult um issue this because if people want they want, they want and i think this is where the struggle with well-being is because i think some leaders want hard and fast rules and i think you've alluded to this already they want you to come in with this little blueprint and drop it on the school and go right these are all the things that you can put in place to improve well-being and it's not as simple as that because all schools are different all organizations are different and they're made up of different children different staff different leaders all mm their own well-being personality i suppose yeah and, and different elements of it that come together to make and what my well-being is could be entirely different from what someone else's well-being is and that's that's the struggle isn't it it's it's finding something that you can do that helps you to support all your members of staff but in lots of different ways and doing things like that having a blanket no emails after x time or finish early on a friday or come to this session on mindfulness that isn't going to work because you're trying to impose something on people that isn't necessarily yeah. suited to their well-being personality so to speak yeah that's a good way of putting it and then it can feel tick boxy or tokenistic or like window dressing you know it's not all sincere and authentic and it can just be like oh we you know we we have chocolate friday woohoo it's just like so what what's that gonna change nothing yeah you know it's nice <laughs> yeah People like it but again it's not it's not necessarily always nice is it because if you're on a diet and you mm. keep and you're constantly being like chucked cakes in the staff room then you don't want to go in the staff room on that day when there are cakes in there because yeah you'll be too tempted so it, even that it, though people say yeah it's great that it's nice for some people doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily helpful to them and their well-being exactly so, I don't know if I've just gone, this is a problem that we completely cannot. <laughs> no, you can, can do it, but it is, you can. And I've seen 
I've seen it. I've seen schools transform and and it's amazing and it does start to self-sustain and embed it's it's embedded and it's self-sustaining like i said once you kind of put this kind of framework in place you map out effective practice that's already there it's not reinventing the wheel or starting from scratch it's looking at effective teaching practice it's looking at all the positive things that you're already doing that fit under the umbrella of well-being rugby choir you know like stuff every day you know rituals where uh, achievement assemblies all those kind of things map to well-being so it's not like you have to do loads of extra stuff you maybe you i always say it's like threading uh, threads of well-being and maybe just some bits need a little bit of darning it's not yeah. like you have to reweave the whole tapestry again from scratch so your role you come into schools and and help the leaders in the school to to get that better sense of a picture of where there are and where there are opportunities for improving well-being we specialize with by supporting in designated mental health leads actually right so they might be senior leaders they might be on slt or they might be um like a lead practitioner level yeah and we've got a program um called well-being club which is um something new we're developing it's a membership area where they will get um, regular workshops, materials, audit tools, um, re- materials to use with the pupils directly, secondary and primary, um, sort of school audit tools and frameworks for implementation, if you like, where they can map out the good practice that are there already, um, all underpinned by coaching approaches and methodologies and positive psychology. And they, we support the mental health lead take it forward into their schools using like a, a sort of toolkit of right. resources and, and support from myself and the team and each other peer-to-peer support from other mental health leads in other schools and some of that means getting supporting them to get more slt buy-in or um supporting them to do more embedded well-being curriculum or um, mapping out the targeted intervention that they have for, for the kids or supporting staff to develop staff well-being uh, you know so it does become this sort of um, bottom-up approach but it's yeah. kind of middle it's kind of a middle-led right rather than working with school school leaders as a consultant we kind of equip the designated mental health leads with a, a whole repertoire of resources to support right. them to make that change in the school that sounds that sounds great so if people want to find you so that they can um find out more about what you do and how they could use you in their schools where do they need to go to find this information well they can go on uh worthit.org.uk worth it all one word worth it or one word dot org dot uk and we've got a schools page but the best thing to do is join our facebook group so we have a facebook group for school mental health leads called school mental health leads and well-being champions so you might not officially have the job title as mental health lead but you might be what i call a well-being champion which is another member of staff a teacher a school leader or somebody who wants to champion well-being in the school but maybe or wants to become a designated mental health lead because by 2025 every school will have a designated mental health lead and one of their job title one of their sort of things on their job spec that they need to be working on is staff well-being because like i've said you can't have children's mental health and well-being without good staff well-being 
it's not possible um to it's two sides to the same coin and i think we people can work in silos a little bit they can focus on the children or they can focus on the staff um without looking at the whole picture but the picture can feel very overwhelming and very ambiguous and that's where we've come in with creating clarity and awareness and practical steps to move forward basically brilliant thanks so much for your time today liz i think there are so many things that we've covered there i've really enjoyed that conversation and i'm sure that the listeners are going to take away all sorts of things i think the, the key thing for me is the um is the jdr that i think people will be going away now and and looking into is there mm. somewhere you can um direct them to find more information about that model no i could write a blog about it oh there's yeah there you go <laughs> well, just we, have you... a program. <laughs> we have a program called staff Wellbeing program which is basically teaching them the jdr and um positive psychology resources and some stress management strategies against right. that and they could they could commission us to come and do that for an inset or twilight um right. but yeah it's, it's just google it it's quite a famous organizational psychology stress management models quite brilliant common. brilliant okay thank you very much have a great day and hopefully we, we we'll uh, we'll speak again in the future yeah let's hope wow i learned a lot from that interview thanks liz for taking the time to do that for us i think the standout learning points for me are firstly the job demands resources model which incidentally was developed by arnold backer and evangelia demaruti and the work-life interface stuff this really is for me at the heart of well-being and definitely it's a model that will help you to understand and improve well-being in your schools another of the standouts was the three types of resilience as i think that being able to develop what sort of resilience you need to draw on in different circumstances that you're faced with could be so powerful in helping you to become a more resilient leader and as a result a more confident and effective leader. There were another couple of takeaways I think that Liz talked about and one of them is making sure that well-being is on the agenda for all your SLT meetings and that it requires time and investment again as we keep hearing well-being is not a bolt-on it's a way of doing things in your school and so that you get buy-in and engagement from all of your staff it does require time and investment and like Liz said potentially you might need to set aside some of your uh, school budget to put towards well-being the other thing that Liz said is that reaching out and asking for help is not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength and I think we've heard that one before but I'm just going to keep repeating it for you just so that it sinks in um, ask for help look for support networks they are out there headteacherchat.com is one that you can start with and I have set up a Facebook group called the We Lead Well Facebook group so reach out in there, join the Facebook group, say hello, and then we can share all of our ideas for improving well-being in schools. And the final thing that I want to talk about that uh, Liz mentioned is, and it's another thing that keeps coming up repeatedly in these interviews, maybe I should write a book about all these things, <laughs> is relationships. Building positive relationships 
and that being the key to success. As Liz said, well-being is built on the context or the foundations of positive relationships. So do all that you can to build positive relationships in your school as a starting point. If you do that, then you can move forward from there to develop a culture of well-being. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves, take care of your staff and lead well. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.